0: Okay.
1: Thank you. Rabbi Thank for your kind effort, uh, your kind words, appreciate you very much. And first of all, thanks, Raman for putting name A3 with you this morning. And Raman for your kind introduction and Rabbi Laura for, my mm-hmm. monar- for being uh, in the second part of the school, and I that you're here. And to all the fathers, mothers, and the boys, and young ladies, any young ladies? Yes, I young ladies? Yes, I okay, and young ladies who are here this morning, welcome. The topic you've asked me to speak on... Can you all hear clearly? Yeah? Yes. Is this like? No ah. Okay? Wait. No right. I can hear it, like, bouncing off the wall said I was in a dentist last week, and um, he said to me, you know, Oh my God, I've never seen a hole so big. Oh my gosh, I've never seen a hole so big. So I said, don't do that to piece. That wasn't me, that was the echo.
0: <coughs> the topic you've
1: asked me to speak on is happiness. Catch me if you can. Now, what does it mean, happiness, catch me if you can? So let's figure this out together. Is happiness... Something that happens to me. Happens, It happens to me, and I'm waiting for it to happen, and then I'll be happy when I graduate, then I'll be happy when I go on my first date, then I'll really be happy when I get out of this date, then I'll really be happy when I get my first job, then I'll really be happy when I get out of this job, I'll be so happy. You when I get married, I'll be so happy. I thought I was so happy. When I have children, I'll be so, so
0: happy. It happens, has to happen
1: to me. It's who has to change, or my bank manager has to give me the loan, or my mother-in-law has to become more appreciative. My father-in-law, sorry. My, my brother, my sister whoever it is that has to change. And then when I move to that zip code, then I'll be happy. Who controls my happiness? Me or what happens to me? Who do we want to be in control of our happiness? Ourselves or other people? Circumstances? Situations? I'll tell you a true story. This is not really meant, it's not in my notes. I never uh, gave this in my happiness speech. But uh, you young men here, let me share this with you. I was 10 years old and very unhappy because I had twin sisters. I still have twin sisters, but then I was really unhappy because every fight I got into, I would win physically, but I would lose because my mother would tell me, Jonathan, you're the oldest, you're the firstborn. You have to set an example. And it would drive me nuts. No matter how many times I would win against my sisters, I would lose with my parents. And it reached a point, I was so unhappy, that I convinced myself that if only it was fair, instead of two against one, one against one, if I could kill one of my sisters, <laughs> why laughing? Oh, sorry, sorry, okay, fine. If I could kill one of my sisters, then it would be, at least it would be fair odds, oh, one against one. Now, I realized that's not going to work, and my parents won't see the funny side of it, and you know there's a jail sentence and things like that, so uh, sibling abuse wasn't really in fashion time, so could be. Uh, trailblazer, but I decided that that's not going to work, and I found myself crying in bed. True story. Crying in bed and begging God, Rebellion, Master mark the Universe, will you please help me? I can't take this anymore. I was so unhappy. I thought that the solution to my happiness would be either the elimination of at least one or both of them. <laughs> and as I started finding myself praying to God, I said, you oh know, God. I can't take this anymore. So I'm going to ask you, please give me a brother. And that will make me happy. If I have a brother, then it will be two against two. <laughs> now, I was never good at math. Still, I'm not that good at math. But had I made a calculation, by the time you then used to me, I would have grown out of teasing my sisters. But I, that's what I did. I prayed for a brother. But it didn't stop there. I made a deal. I wasn't religious at the time. My parents came from originally a religious home, but, you know, with the Second World War, actually we did the First World War and everything, moving around. I used to go to synagogue once a year for a fashion show on Rosh Hashanah. Uh, but other, other than that, that was pretty much all we did. But my mother told me, and I went to non-Jewish school, she told me, you know, if any of your teachers tell you there's no God, or God did not create the universe, just know that they're mistaken. So, I added that to the list of other things that I thought they were mistaken about, and it was fine. I, I believed my mother, and I found myself praying to God, because that's all I could do. So, I made a deal, and here's the deal. I said, God, if you give me a brother, for me to know that you're answering my filler, please give him on my birthday. Because if I just, if my mother has had another kid, and it's a boy, so, how do I know you're answering my prayer? So, I wanted my brother on my birthday, and then, my part of the deal would be, I'd be a good Jew. I didn't know what religious meant, I didn't know how to say the word religious. I just said, I'll be a good Jew. And I did not know then how easy God's part of the deal would be, and how hard mine would be. But I forgot about the whole request. All I do remember, I do remember, till today, I was crying with so many tears. My, I remember the texture of my soggy, wet pillow against my flesh, my skin, from the crying. I was so frustrated. This is what's going to make me happy. So, I forgot about the whole request, and a few months later, on a train journey to southern England, a place called Devon, we were going there for a a summer holiday, my mother announced that she's expecting a child. And I suddenly remembered, oh yes, I asked for a boy, and I said, oh it's a boy! (laughs) My parents were, well, how do you know? Except I told them the story. Now my mother was really worried, because I told her it's going to be a boy, and he's going to be born on my birthday. And this really got her nervous, because she wanted me to believe in God, even though we weren't really raised religious. And the chances were okay-ish, because I was born on March the 6th, and my mother was due to have a baby early March. So, it was was on the cards. Now, to be honest with you, my father was born a few days earlier. But it was so close, that I decided that God really, you know, he did his best, I should do mine as well.
0: <laughs> so, having a baby brother,
1: it made me, I was very happy at the time. I was very happy. How long did that last? I don't know, but... Um, I enjoyed changing his diaper, I enjoyed taking him for a stroll, and getting him to sleep at night, and singing lullabies. And I couldn't wait till he could run, and then play soccer with me, that's English football. So, Here's where it gets interesting. My father was the best in the world in the film industry. That's movies. Sir. No one here watches movies, but have you got friends who've seen movies? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, in, in the world of movies, um, there's a special effect, there's a special art called dubbing. Dubbing means revoicing a movie. Interestingly, about 98% of all movies have some revoicing in them. The reason why is because very often, it's not unusual, you'll have an actor or an actress who's run down has laryngitis or a cold, and his or her voice just doesn't sound right. So you can't wait till they get their voice back or their cold goes. So you have to carry on filming. And what you do is, after the film is completed, you call him or her back into the studio. It's a special dubbing studio. It's beneath the ground. It's a soundproof. And she re-voices her part to the lip movements on the screen. Do you follow? Or you might have a MiG-Jet, like an airplane go over a Bible scene and you've got hundreds of people in the cloud So you can't, the whole soundtrack is destroyed. So you can't change, you can't just do it all over again, so you redo the voice. And then there's obviously many movies which are made in, let's say, Italian or German or French. And then they want to be sold to the English market, which is the biggest market, and so they dub it into English. So my father was so good at this, this wisdom, if you want to call it that, that he was the best in the world in dubbing. In fact, when he did the voiceovers, no one knew that it was dubbed. It, it was so brilliantly done. There was one movie called Waterloo, The Battle of Waterloo. Uh, Christopher Plummer was uh, the star in that, and there were 102 voices in the entire movie. My father did 98 of them. Yeah? Sometimes there were, there were five soundtracks going simultaneously because he had to do five people who were speaking in a conversation, so there was a set of soundtrack for each person, but it was really him talking. Or, he was known as the man of a thousand voices. Why am I sharing this with you? Because of, When it came to my Bar Mitzvah, my friends in my class, some of them, their parents were famous actors, actresses, or well-known people in the world of music. Some of you heard of the Beatles, you heard of the and Anyone heard of the Shrachim, the Beatles? No, the Beatles? Yes, yes, yes. I think the real name is Beatles. Just a Beatles translation. Uh, then you've heard of the Beatles. So Paul McCartney had a daughter. She was in my class. Her name was Heather. I know that was his second wife, but uh, his daughter was called Heather. Um, Stanley Kubrick had a daughter in my class. I'm not saying this to impress you, just so you know where I'm coming from. Ringo Starr had a son called Zach, who was much younger than myself. Actually, Zach is very famous today. He's out a rehab and prisons across America.
0: <laughs> um, but uh, just to share with you.
1: Um,
0: when it came to my bar mitzvah,
1: I told my parents that I wanted a bar mitzvah, and they took me to my, the, the rabbi of our synagogue, and he told me that I'm not allowed to get bar mitzvah. This is the policy, this is the rule in his synagogue. You can't get a bar mitzvah in the synagogue unless you pass a test. I hated tests, and more than tests, I hated reading. And he gave me a reading list of books that I had to read, and then he would test me on those books. Now, the reason I wanted to pass the test was because there were a number of Jewish boys in my class, none of them were religious, but when they had a bar mitzvah, it was so lavish, it was so extravagant, they got so many gifts! Not not like today, in those days, when we got a fountain pen, we got three or four thousand fountain and and an alarm clock, and you can't can't believe what excited us in those days, and a few books, uh, but it was mostly really sophisticated, like a, a really nice watch, Today, you'd be very upset if you got such presents, but in those days, it was really exciting. I told him, I I, I have to get this bundle because I want the presents. So I took this reading list very seriously. And I was shocked because I started reading these books. And for the first time in my life, I read that the Sabbath, Shabbat, Shabbat, is not a non-Jewish invention called the weekend. The Jews invented Shabbos. We are the first ones from Shabbos to the world. And the Romans, amongst other reasons, actually persecuted us because we were called a lazy nation for taking off one day with seven. And the whole Western world takes off two days for the weekend. And I, never, I didn't know this it was Jewish. Then I started reading about, not your yourself, I thought this was from Jesus. You've heard of Jesus. If you listen carefully, I'm not actually pronouncing his name correctly. Um, I'm pronouncing it Cheesus. Oh. Yeah? In fact, uh, Kraft Cheese has just opened up a factory in Nazareth. It's called Jesus of Nazareth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I thought that Jesus was the one who, who invented love your neighbor as yourself. And what do I discover? This is a Jewish concept that comes from Leviticus chapter 19. Oh, we thought the world love your neighbor as yourself take care of the widow, charity, take care of the orphan. We thought the world, honour your parents. So, things like this was a shock to me. What a pity Judaism is dead. I would, love, I would love to do something to help revive it. So that was the first moment I, I remember having a thought parachute into my mind, saying to myself, Oh, what, what a pity there's no religious Judaism anymore. Um, I wonder what I can do to try and bring it back. But, Here's why I'm telling you this story. I got my bar mitzvah, and after my bar mitzvah, I carried on biking every Thursday to my rabbi for post-bar mitzvah classes. There were 13 kids in this bar mitzvah class. I was the only one who continued after bar mitzvah to these classes. Three years later, I'm 14 years old. This is three years after I prayed for brother. My rabbi, when I am 14, asked me, Jonathan, you know what, your, your father is in the movies. He's played over 200 movies. Uh, he's the best in the world in revoicing films. Uh, he did all the old James Bond films. You've heard of James Bond, Roger Moore, Sean Connery. So he revoiced all of those. He directed all the revoicing on them. He actually employed me. I did some voices in uh, Diamonds Are Forever. I'm not, I'm not trying to impress you. just so you know where I'm coming from. So he said, No, you know, all the other kids, they're not interested in coming to classes after the Mitzvah, because they're too interested in movies. And you're in the world of movies, and you're more interested in Judaism. What, what explains that? So I told him, actually, I made a deal with God. That if God would give me a brother on my birthday, I'll tell him the whole story, then I would try and be a good Jew. So he said something to me that, until today, is astonishing. He said, Jonathan, that's an amazing story. But if God is going to give you a brother, Will he give it to you on your Christian birthday or your Jewish birthday? I said, what do you mean? So he explained to me that the Jewish months of the year don't correspond exactly to the English, and we've got our own calendar. So he asked me, when was I born? And I said, I was born on March the 1959. So he looked up my Hebrew birthday, it was 26th of Adar. And he asked me, when's your brother born? So I told him, 4th of March, 1970. So he looked up the Jewish yearbook and his finger goes down the page and twenty four, twenty-five and lands on twenty-six of Adar. So three years after the event, I discovered that God was on
0: schedule.
1: Now <laughs> I <laughs> was really happy. This is not part of my notes, but the point I bring out here really is the following. If my happiness depends on what I want to get out of life, be it my siblings be more respectful and nice to me and less teasing, or my parents more understanding, or my boss coming through on, and my wife be more respectful and appreciative, and when my kids are more respectful, one hour, oh, I need to wake you up, I'm sorry.
0: One hour of oh, your husband is more
1: than a kid to my if i oh, there's no parent who relates to any of this some of you have better to know what I'm talking about. So when I blame my kids for their disrespect and making me unhappy as a parent, who controls my happiness, me or
0: my kids? My kids.
1: If it's my husband or my wife, when you show me a bit more love, I give you the best care of my life. do give me
0: a little bit more respect
1: and appreciation than I? do have no idea how much love is waiting to burst on you. If I make my spouse, my husband, my wife, responsible for my unhappiness, who am I making control my happiness? Me or spouse? <coughs> Boys, if you don't get any of the marriage jokes, but if you don't want to say one or two marriage jokes for your parents, that, can you handle marriage jokes kids? They're only pure humour. It has nothing to do with reality. Marriage is not a word, it's a sentence. Never mind. so this is a few must If I make a happy marriage, that's what's going to make me happy. My kids, finances, the, the bigger home. When I get that car, oh, I'll be so happy. I am making something outside of me responsible for my happiness. So when we talk about happiness, catch me if you can. Who do we want to have in control? Me or something outside of me? I want to be in control of my happiness, not something else out of me. So here's the question. Why would I play the blame game? Well, I blame my kids. I blame my parents.
0: You left me for 30 years of my life and
1: ever time it's so dysfunctional. If I blame my parents for my unhappiness in my life, and I'm blaming my boss, and I'm blaming my spouse, and I'm blaming the neighbor, and I'm blaming the neighborhood, and the learning partner, and my co-worker, and my clients, and my um, uh, uh, grandchildren, have we covered everybody? When I play the blame game, am I getting close to happiness, or am I getting further away? Here's we have a problem. So why would I play the blame game? Why would I play the blame game? And the answer is... Because if I blame you, not you, sorry,
0: if I blame you,
1: then who has to change? If it's your fault I'm unhappy, who has to change, me or you?
0: Oh, you have
1: to change. Oh, so I'll play the blame game to get out of responsibility for my own happiness. Because when I blame the job, the career, the family, the children, I don't have to change. I'm busy focusing on how everyone else has to change. It's my brother's fault, my sister's fault, it's the teacher's fault. When it's everyone else's fault and I don't have to change, oh, I don't have to do any work over here. It's all someone else's. Now, who was the first person in world history to play the blame game? Oh, Adam! When Adam ate from the tree, did Akash zap him straight away? Or did he say, um, I don't, why do you feel embarrassed about your nakedness? Did you eat from the tree I asked you not to eat from? Now what was God hoping Adam would respond? What was he hoping he'd say?
0: He was hoping that he'd make sure that I could Excellent.
1: He was, what's your name? Abraham. Abraham. Abraham's answer is perfect. Imagine of God had said your words exactly. If he just said two words, I have made a mistake to you, God. God would have forgiven him. But what was Adam's answer? Unfortunately, he didn't consult Abraham. What was Adam's answer?
0: Adam, it was. It's because his
1: wife he gave me. Oh, God! Sorry,
0: I'm off again, sorry. Oh, it's <laughs> <laughs> that
1: woman. Who's he blaming?
0: Asher, THAT imadi,
1: <laughs> the you. It. You it! Now, Ta'ata is lost from Matana. You gifted! it! to he, must, he can stand by me! He not really, she gave it to me! Oh! Adam, instead of taking responsibility and saying, I'm so sorry, he blames it on his wife. So God turns to Eve and says, Adam, I'll deal with you later.
0: And he asks Eve, Eve,
1: why did you eat from the tree? you want to ask me a question or say something? Sorry. Yeah, okay, you can change your mind if you want. What did Eve answer when Adam said, when Hashem said to Eve, Why did you eat from the tree? What was he hoping she would say? What was he hoping she would say? Yes, excellent. He was hoping she'd say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I'm sorry, I can't
0: believe it. Please
1: forgive but what was her answer? How
0: clever did she answer that snake? Bewitched me.
1: Now, did you ever wonder why God did not ask
0: the snake? did it have a leg to stand on. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it didn't. I'm sorry. Actually, he yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> still has two legs. Sorry, no, you're right. Yeah, he still has two legs. Okay. Rabbi Joe. <laughs>
1: So Adam is busy blaming Eve, is busy blaming, and I hush, and we start the blame game. The blame game is probably, I'm guessing, the biggest way I avoid my own happiness. Because while I'm blaming the world God has gifted to me, I'm missing out on the opportunity to count the good that He gives and does for me all the time. Blame game is problem number one. Problem number two in why happiness, I have to run after it. Catch me if you can. In the world of movies, in the world of the media, young men, help, help me over here, commercials. How do commercials work? How commercials work? What do Advertise
0: things? something, the end movie that is a product,
1: so, every commercial is advertising a product. And what's the din kodima? What's the predicate? What's the assumption? Think about it this way. It's the worst commercials from my father, for Saatchi, Saatchi. These were the largest advertisers in the world. They got Margaret Thatcher into government. Again, I'm only sharing this with you so you understand where I'm coming from. In the world of advertising, they want to sell a product. What is the assumption that they are working on? That until you buy this product, or watch this movie, or wear this hair cream, oh, that's not in my game, or when you get this label for your suit, for your clothes, when you're driving this car, then you will be, what? Happy! But until you're driving this car, well, until you've got this shape body, and you go on this next side program, and you go on this side, until you go this island, until you are uh, trying this product or service, you can't possibly be happy. Can you hear that? It's interesting. Every commercial works on this assumption. <laughs> you can't possibly be happy until... <laughs> what is the commercial asking me to focus on? What I do have already in my life that Hashem has gifted me, or to count what I don't yet have in my life? What is it asking me to focus on?
0: What we don't yet have so we can buy the product.
1: He wants me to focus on what I don't yet have. Excellent number, <laughs> Excellent. What does Shlomo Adana say? Adam, Yeshleimana A person has a hundred, right there, my target, and he wants two hundred. Let's figure this out together. I've got a hundred, but I want two hundred. Am I happy with a hundred? No, why not? I want 200. And then when I get 200, then I'll be, be I'm
0: not going to be happy.
1: Excellent. Do you think so?
0: Because I'm going to want
1: 400. Which is it? David. David. David David Johnson, that's a good good combination. David, David's answer is, 400 will not make me happy because I'm I'm going to want 800, so even before I get to the 400, I'm going to start thinking about, whoa, if I had more. Now, let's put this now together. Is there something wrong with wanting 200, 400, 800, something wrong with that? What is Shlomo Maddox How up? Hark on he's the wisest man who ever walks the earth! Mikol Shlomo Bring it, mind! What's the message? What's the message? If I'm not enjoying the first hundred. If I'm not counting the first hundred God has given me in my wealth, in my health, in my wife, in my life, in my children, in my intelligence, in my career, if I'm not counting the first hundred, where's the logic, the dictate that
0: when I have two hundred, then I'll be happy?
1: So I keep looking for whatever age sixteen to thirty two whatever it is I think that might make me happy to discover that it's not going to make me happy. Why not? Because it's happiness what I don't have yet. Or is happiness really enjoying what I already had? And then that's not satisfaction. That's not the word we're looking at. When Hazal, our Savior, tell us. A there who are fear? Who is a wealthy person? What's their answer? The one, who's
0: happy.
1: the one who is happy with what he has. Happy with what he has. They don't say satisfied. Happy! A, listen carefully. If I'm enjoying the first hundred, I'm happy with the hundred. Guess what's happening? Am I training myself not to enjoy more? Or am I pre-qualifying myself? I'm training my mind that if I enjoy a hundred, guess what will happen when I'm blessed with Two hundred. I'll count that too. Shlomo Amal has telling me a profoundly simple, but still profound message. By enjoying the first hundred in my life, my wife, my kids, my health, my wealth, I am preparing myself that so when God blesses me with more, I'll count that too. But if I'm busy counting the 400 that I don't get have, and then the 800 I don't get have, and the I'm busy focusing on what I don't have, and that steals my mind away from counting what I do have. And what are the commercials all about? Counting what I do have or counting what I don't have. It's all about training my mind to notice what I don't have. Um, ladies and gentlemen, do you know how many commercials the average kid in America has seen before the age of 10? It's not a statistic to come up with. You multiply the number of hours the average child watches TV, how many commercials are in an hour, and it comes out of approximately a quarter of a million. By the age of 10, a child has seen approximately 250,000 messages that said, Happiness
0: is not your responsibility!
1: It's what has to happen to you. When I have this shape body, when I go on this diet, when I go on this treadmill or this exercise program, or when I live in this type of home, when I can drive this car, then I'll be happy with my life. And happiness starts playing the game of 200, 400, 800. And I'm chasing it, chasing it, chasing it, and only to discover that it's not working. Because happiness starts with what I already have. A there Who's really the wealthy person? Now, uh, let me ask. Uh, so, your name is? Aaron. If I, if I offer you, Aaron, $5 million cash right now, will that slightly change your lifestyle? Yeah, it works. Okay. Here's my offer. $5 million cash uh, for one of your eyes. Would you give me one eye for $5 million cash? Light hesitation.
0: <laughs> okay, I'll help you. I'm going to make you
1: a package deal. $20 million for both eyes. No deal? No deal. No hesitation on that. Okay, um, your, your name, sir? Ruben, Ruben, I'll give you a million dollars for one arm, ten million for both arms. No? Is there
0: anyone here missing a leg for five million dollars?
1: No, I'm not selling kidneys. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in legs, <laughs> hands, no. You know, when I was growing up, there used to be a program called the the Billion Dollar Man. No, Six Million Dollar Man. Six Million Dollars. <laughs> I mean, they couldn't get away with a title like that today. So, here's my question. If I won't part with significant parts of my body that I can live without, people do live without an arm, without a leg. And comes along, Magishtan Kuma, and asks the same question that the Mishnah, Perke Abbas, Pirke Dala, Am Mishnah Aleph, asks. Aden who is the wealthy person? Hast asked the Helkai, the one who enjoys, is happy with his with his portion? Ask the Medrash, Rat Medrash Medrish the Aid of Helkai, what's his portion? Answer the Medrash, Einaim, Shinaim, Yadayim, Raglayim. What's the first letter of Einaim? I. I. What's the first letter of Shinaim? T. Shinaim? Shin. What's the first letter of, 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 of Yadayim, Hand. Yes. What's the first letter of rug lions? Sorry. Feet. Oh, no. yeah. Raglian? Yeah. First letter is waist. What's the four letters spell? Ashir. Abehu A-shir. A-shir. Who's the happy person? The one who's happy with what he has. What did he have? His body. He's alive and healthy. That's already wealth. Anything else on top of that is bonus. Parents, alive and healthy. Siblings, alive and healthy. Married? Happy marriage?
0: Children? Happy children? Oh my God!
1: There's a lot to be grateful for. Well, yes. Are
0: you also saying that people who are sick have the right to complain? Excellent question.
1: What happens if I'm sick? Now maybe I do have a right to complain. What I'm just going to I lose the life. So here's, here's what I think Shalom Alex is teaching me. When I keep inventory, if I keep counting the goods that God gives me all the time, then when, not if, when he takes something away, hopefully it won't be an eye, but he might take some money away, when, God forbid, there's a health setback, or a financial setback, or a difficulty in a marriage, will I fall into complaints very easily, or will I remind myself of what I really have? Let me give you an example to help answer David's question. They questions, David's questions right on the board. So does this marriage mean that if I don't have an eye, or I lose a leg, now I can complain? Rabbi Shimon Schwab himself. Rabbi Shimon Schwab was the leader of the congregation of uh, the German Jews in in Washington Heights. Previously from Germany, he was chased out at the age of 19, he was already a rabbi then. And he was in Baltimore, and he was a veritable leader in his own right. He was crippled the last 10 years of his life. I remember several times, I was invited to his house twice for Shabbat, and Once we spent Kesach together in the same hotel, and I was with him when his grandson, Nathan, wheeled him into a private room where he made Kiddush after uh, an early minion. And I was there when his grandson, Nathan, asked his grandfather, who had not had use of his legs for the last ten years. He said, Grandpa, I asked Grandma, and she said it's true, that she never recalls you ever complaining that you lost your legs. What's the secret of your happiness? And Rabbi Shimon Schwab gave the following amazing answer. He said, I look at life in the following way. If someone gave you a million dollars, this is a gift, and seventy-seven zero years later, asked you to return a thousand. Would you be angry? Would you be bitter? Would you be upset, resentful, or would you say, oh my gosh, of course I'll give you a thousand dollars back. I mean, you gave me a million dollars 70 years ago. Do you know what that did for me? The financial security was investing that money, I was able to send all my kids to college, I mean to yeshiva, sorry. I was able to take care of all uh, my family needs. We had such financial security. This is wonderful. I wanted too grateful to give you back a thousand dollars. Said Rabbi Shemashua, God gave me legs for 70 years. And after 70 years, He asked for them back. Is that a reason for me to be angry, ungrateful? Said, this didn't happen one time. The trouble to close door the Sorry. I'm sorry, my wife. This didn't happen just one time Rabbi Shimashwa. Sure you think suddenly I, did, I discovered that God has been so good to me for my legs all these years? He said, No. Every morning, we make a barakah, a few blessings.
0: And one of them is
1: Shah Kol Kosarki. You provided me all my needs. And what do I say to tell us? This refers to my shoes. What's the use of shoes if I don't have legs? So indirectly i have also been grateful for my legs, for my feet. thank you God for my spine. Thank you for my bones. thank you God for my eyes. Please let me always enjoy good eyesight and use my eyes for the right thing. Thank you, God, and I'll be showing for my clothes. See, happiness is not counting what I don't have. Happiness is counting what I do have. The world is confused about happiness, and they're running after it all the time. The media,
0: they're running after it all the
1: time. And the irony is, in an inside job, it depends on what I'm counting. If I count the good in my wife and my kids and build on that, when I show God that I'm happy for the hundred, you know what He'll say? Oh, you're the type of guy that if I give you two hundred, you'll be happy with that as well. But if I, I've got a hundred, but I'm busy saying I'll be, I'll be so happy when I get two hundred, and I'm not focusing on the good He's already given me. God said to me, What's the point of giving you two hundred? You're not enjoying the first hundred. Oh! So, counting the first ha- hundred is training me that when he gives me more, I'll get a bigger blessing. God can't wait to shower me with more. It's all up here. Depends on what I'm thinking. Uh, young men, tell me if you remember a famous actor by the name of Christopher Reeve. You know who that was? Who was he? Superman! Super Super the second Superman. Second Superman.
0: I met Christopher Reed. do you have a question? Um what happens when
1: someone has to like get surgery really badly
0: after get surgery? Is that God saying he wants that body part back? But the world keeps trying to work. excellent. So your first
1: question was why does the person lose the body part? And now you to say it's really really let's say it's really,
0: really... bachelor I,
1: don't, I can't speak on God's behalf, I wish I could, but I would, I would say that whenever something goes wrong, it's an amazing opportunity for me to focus on all the other times things go right. So that if, God forbid, I'm in a small accident, not fatal, and I get, ooh, backlash in the car, I've now got an opportunity either to complain or to say, you know what, how many times have I been in the car? Nothing happens. Oh, yeah. So that in a certain sense, the power of contrast, when something goes wrong, it actually is an invitation to be tell all the time things did not go wrong. Let me share with you Christopher Reed. I met him about seven, eight years ago. Maybe it was closer to my years, uh, The night after Yom Kippur. And I was in an audience where Christopher Reed was rolled onto the stage in a wheelchair. This was a very famous actor, Superman, who, when he was in a horse race, an obstacle horse race, he fell. But the position he fell in left him paralyzed from the neck down. The only two parts of his entire body that moved were his eyes and his mouth. Nothing else. And attached to his chest was an apparatus that was superficially. Artificially, sorry, artificially stimulate his heart and his lungs so that he could breathe in enough to say one sentence at a time, and you could hear the strain it took to breathe out one sentence and how much he had to breathe in again to prepare himself to continue the next part of his sentence. And the first words that came out of this man's mouth were I've never been more happy in my life. Then since my, my accident. Whoa! I'm mean, in good accident. How do you come up? How do you know? What do you mean? You're paralyzed from the neck down. There's no part of his body that looks at his eyes and his mouth. What do you mean you're going know, to be more happy? You know, it, it takes his wife two hours, he's no longer alive, but it took her two hours every morning to dress him. Take some people that much, anyway, but he, was, he, he's, he needs help all the time. He's on a constant tube just for breathing. And he said, why he's so happy. He said, I've never been more happy in my life than since my accident because I discovered the real me. He said, the real me is not my body. And he's almost exactly what he said. If God only left me with a brain and a heart, I could still choose to be happy. I'm not my body. He said, I'm not the many homes I own, and I'm not the many tens of millions of dollars in my bank account. That's not the real me. He said, the real me is not even the half a million fan mail that I've received in the last think it was about four or five years since his accident. And he admitted he'd been in and out of depression, very deep depression, at the beginning, but he came to a conclusion that the real me is not just not my body, the real
0: me, and he said who the real me is.
1: Astonishing. He said, the real me is my smile. And he explained why. And it's beautiful because it fits so perfectly with what we know about the smile. He said, the real me is a smile. Do you know why? What is a smile? Where is the smile? Which part of the body is it on? It's on your face. How do you say face in Lush MacLevich in Hebrew, Hebrew, Hebrew? Pali. Now, look carefully. Pretend for a moment that we're not translating panim according to the Christian translation, and, and focus on the actual meaning of the word. Is panim Lashen or rabbin? Is it singular or plural? Plural. So what's the correct translation of panim? Faith. faith is. You see, you can't have a word in Lashen HaKodesh for something that doesn't exist in reality. Because Lashen HaKodesh created reality. There's no word in Hebrew for faith. you know why? There's no such thing. Your face changes every second of your living life. In fact, before you're born, your face is already changing, and even after we die, our face continues to change until it's totally decomposed, and there are more muscles, any dentist here will help us know, there are more muscles in your facial expressions than any other part of your body. You can make unlimited expressions with your facial expressions. Punning. Because, what's another word? For pun. What else does in mean? Inside. inside. Same four letters! Remember, the master of the universe, make up your mind. In English, you've got one word for outside. Panyin is not facade. start. is inside. The sir. So which one is it? And the answer is, there are no mistakes in Lashna Kodesh. Don't forget your questions, they're not taking them a moment. There are no mistakes in Lashna Kodesh. It's a perfect language. The reason why the facial expression from the outside also means the pinnip inside is because, which is the only part of your body, you can look at your mother or your father or your child to know what's going on inside. Look at their pinky, their elbow, their kneecap. <laughs> look at the facial expression from the outside. Said Christopher Reeve, When I smile at my wife and she smiles back, that's the real me. Do you know why? Because I'm smiling because I'm thinking about the good that's in my life in my wife. And he said, my wife taught me this. And it's absolutely true. He wrote an autobiography based on this little story I'll share with you. He said, when he was going through depression, he said to his wife, why do you still love me? She was exceptionally devoted to this man. After the accident, she was so loyal. And he asked her, why do you still love me? He's a liability. He can't do anything. He can speak. He can look. He can't do anything else. And she answered, Because you are still you. The real you're inside has gotten more and more mature, more and more loving, more and more appreciative. Oh, that's all insight. And he wrote his book based on her answer. He wrote an autobiography called Still Me. It was a pun on his physical condition. Still, couldn't move. But the real me, oh, that's dead all the time. He said his greatest joy in life is visiting quadriplegics, that other people who have no use of their outer limbs. He tells the story of going to visit a 16-year-old girl whose mother had passed away, and she's a quadriplegic, and now she has to suffer. She's 16, she's lost her mother, and she's, she's trapped in a body that doesn't move. And he said he gets the greatest satisfaction when he visits these people and shares with them the tens of millions of dollars that he has personally and got other friends of his to invest in spinal injuries. And he says there's a lot of promise that in our lifetime, we will be able to move our limbs again because of the breakthroughs <coughs> in medical science. And that gives him a great satisfaction that he's bringing hope to the lives of others. Happiness is an inside job. And happiness is counting the good. It's not more complicated than gratitude. Gratitude is happiness. And I'll close on the following. <laughs> rabbi Jonathan Sachs, chief rabbi of England, gave a beautiful analogy. He said, imagine, you see this brown curtain over here? So imagine it's white paper. And right in the middle, there's a small black dot. So he asked the audience of several hundred people, could you please tell me what do you see here? So people said, well, there's a black line right in the middle over there. He said, isn't that interesting? And he shows them, if you look closer, this is graph paper, lots of squares. And that black dot occupies one square out of 6,000 squares. <laughs> so when asked, what does one notice? And my eyes go to the black dot. Why do I notice the black dot sticking out, and not the 5,999 other parts that's all white? Because it's far
0: away, it looks all white, except that black
1: So from the context of it, <laughs> it looks like that... That's what's sticking out. But why does that stick out more? Why don't I say, well, there's a lot of white there, a lot of white, a small black dot in the middle. And he said a very powerful answer. He said, you know what that black dot is? That black dot is bad news. When I listen to the news, what type of news do you think I'm mostly listening to? Good news? What What type of news sells in newspapers and on the radio? What type of news really sells best? Good news? Bad news. And if the bad news happens many times, people get bored of it. So what's going to really sell the next day? News that's even worse than before. So he said something phenomenal. He said, you know what this black dot is? That black dot is bad news. Do you know why bad news catches my attention? Because it's news. Think about it. All the white isn't news. All the time I'm enjoying my legs, my eyes my hands. And every morning, why do, why do I say that? make me say blessings every morning? In order to give God accolades? He's perfect without those! Why does God want me to thank Him? He doesn't need my dead. I need to say thank you! You know why? Because what am I actually counting? thank you God for my eyes. Zerchipipimim, for my spine. Malbushonim, for my clothes. Thank you God for, I'll let you to die, for my hands, for water. We're counting the white every day. Look at the marvel. We're counting the land that you've given us, the beautiful land of Israel. We're counting the food. I count you've satisfied me, God. Thank you. Being grateful is not about giving God tickles of accolades. He's perfect without them. It's all about me training in happiness. Because happiness is counting the good that's already in my life. Because that's real good news. Good news is not news because it's happening all the time. Bad news sticks out because it's news! It wasn't like that a few moments ago. An accident, to forbid. A tragedy. I will close, and I truly mean it, on a true story that never
0: happened.
1: <laughs> it never happened, but it's true because the message of the story is true. Some of you heard this on tape, so I apologize if you've heard it before, but the way it said it's said is fairly engaging anyway. Um, are you used to the English accent? I'm going to switch now to a solemn English accent. English accent. So there's, there's two farmers in a pub and they're having a drink of beer together and one says to the other Ah, I want a million pounds hey, That'd be good ah, That'd be bad Spent it all Oh, that'd be bad No, that'd be good Bought myself an aeroplane Oh, that'd be good ah, That'd be bad It blew up in me there Oh, that'd be bad no, that'll be good! I jumped out just in time! Oh, that'll be good! That'll be bad! I forgot it had attitude! Oh, that'll be bad! No, that'll be good! There was a haystack below! Oh, that would be good! That'll be bad! There was a pitchfork sticking out the haystack! Oh,
0: that'll be bad! No, that would be good! I'll miss the pitchfork!
1: Oh, that'll be good! That'll be bad! I'll miss the haystack!
0: <laughs> oh, that'd be bad.
1: No, that'd be good. I've met an open grave. That'd be good. No, that'd be bad. I still remember spelling it in. Oh, that'd be bad. No, that'd be good. I thought him I was still alive. Yeah. Oh, that'd
0: be good. No, that'd be bad. They wouldn't believe me. <laughs> Life is one story.
1: That'd be good. That'd be bad. Good, happy kids. Good, oh, bad, happy kids. Marriage, good, bad.
0: Children, good, bad. Health, good, bad.
1: Boyd, good, bad. One long story. Who's going to be the most happy? The one who gets more good and less bad? Or oh, it happens not what happens to us, but what happens inside. When things go good, and I'm grateful. And when things don't look so good, am I still grateful because I've been counting the good till now? Happiness is gratitude. Thanks for
0: listening. Thank you so much no. No. Thank, Absolutely. You. Absolutely. thank you. Thank you. Thank you. My envelope. Oh. My envelope no problem, thank you. Schedule. We have five point cards. Of-